So my next film is a little bit different to the rest of the ones that I've done. I've done a lot of rom-coms so far and maybe when I release them they will be like kind of mixed up a bit so this might be completely irrelevant but the next film I'm doing is The Talented Mr Ripley 1999 directed by Anthony Minghella. Which is definitely a curveball compared to my last films. Just a little side note, basically there's a lot of like weird computer noises that happen, like weird buzzing noises. It's me, it's not you, and I apologise, so enjoy. They're added experience. Now this film, when I first saw it, honestly it was- I have no words to describe. I went into this film, right, completely blind. I did not think that this was going to be what it was. You know, appearances can be deceiving, which is 100% the entire movie. Yeah, I did not think this was going to be a psychological crime thriller when I went into it, but I don't know what possessed me. Anyway, I'm glad I watched it because it was very good. We've got some controversial opinions here. Actually, not really. We've got a mixture of them. I recently then re-watched it and collated my notes and this is going to be my interpretation of the movie. Now, I've not read the book. Okay, let's get to the kind of random facts to start with. I'm getting a bit quick already. This movie was released in 1999 and it is based off of a book, a novel. Many novels with the character Tom Ripley uh, written by Patricia Highsmith and I have not read any of those books. I might do, <laughs> I've just not read any of them. However, there's loads of them. It's kind of like an Agatha Christie thing, the Poirot, like loads of books. Actually, there might not even be that many, but like, you know, it's a series. The movie doesn't turn into like a franchise. It was just this one movie, as far as I'm aware. I think they've made other movies that have the character in it. I'm actually going to check that, but I don't think there is like a sequel that was made. Okay, so there is a book under, there's loads of books afterwards. In this movie, we've got Matt Damon as Tom Ripley, Jude Law uh, as Dickie Greenleaf, who else we've got? We've got Gwyneth Paltrow in this movie as well. There is, the cast in this movie is in Sane. There's Kate Blanchett, we've got Jack Davenport and Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's, it's a pretty crazy cast. Amazing. And this movie in itself is just such a gem. Like, the quality of the acting and the quality of the writing in this movie is just so good. And the feeling that I got when I first watched this movie was like... Oh! <laughs> that's my be-real going off. Well, to be honest with you, I won't be posting my be-real because my Wi-Fi has just been awful. My phone's on my data, so I don't want to waste it on be-real. Sorry, not sorry. Anyway, <laughs> after that interruption, when I first watched this movie, I was in absolute shock and awe. I can't describe to you the feeling that this movie gives you on the first watch. And I don't know whether it's because I came into it blind as well that I got this kind of feeling to the max. But when I first watched it, I would describe it as one of the scariest movies that I've sat through. Now this sounds insane to say because I watched I watch horror and I've seen horror stuff and obviously they're supposed to be scary and all that stuff as well but this was like real life scary because when you watch a horror film it's like it's not real but this is like 
psychologically terrifying i can't describe it's so you, it gives you such a really uneasy feeling and i watched it the other day and i like made the mis i didn't make the, make the mistake i was like right i'm gonna watch this first thing in the morning bloody first thing in the morning so then your whole day you carry this feeling around with you just it might be a tiny feeling but it's there and that's how this movie makes you feel and as well i think this is one of matt damon's best roles i think he i don't know whether he I don't know whether he even got nominated for best actor in this movie. Jude Law got nominated for best supporting, but didn't get it. I don't think anyway. And But Matt Damon didn't at all for this. And I am in shock and awe again because he's so good. I cannot, cannot describe to you how good Matt Damon is in this movie. I love Matt Damon. He is so, so just... He plays so many different crazy stuff. Like, I mean, he was in Thor Ragnarok as... Was he, was he Loki? He was like the dress-up Loki. It's insane. He plays like random stuff, but then he can come and hit you with like a Goodwill Hunting or The Martian or this. So I am a fan of Matt Damon and especially when he's given really, really amazingly tough and dark roles because Chef's Kiss, it works and he delivers. Anyway, let's get into... I've already been speaking for eight minutes about it. Right, a summary. So the summary goes like this. So we start with, it's got, I've got some jazz. It's got some, the opening credits are a little bit confusing, I'd say. And I think it all is supposed to make you be confused because this whole movie is like, what the hell? Anyway, we see this character, Tom Ripley. We don't actually know him. Yeah, we do. That's a lie. Anyway, we see this character, Tom Ripley. And you know, he's just looks like every other guy. He's got, like, glasses, he's a bit goofy, he's a bit awkward. He doesn't quite understand social interaction. So he's a little bit, you know, a bit strange. It's charming. So we just kind of get into the movie. This is our main guy, right? He's not even anything. And then we see him play piano for, like, a rich person's party or an event. And, you know, he plays the piano really well. So we're like, oh, okay, cool. And he has, like, a Princeton blazer on. And we're like, okay, cool, you know, he goes to school. And then he's in conversation with Mr. Greenleaf, who talks to him about all this stuff, whatever, and he says that he went to Princeton and all this stuff, and he's taken under the wing of this man. However, we then see him getting into the car with some somebody else, and he gives them his blazer. And goes, oh, thank you. Thanks for stepping in for me, whatever. And he's like, no problem. He was never what who he said he was. What the hell? Okay, anyway, we go, oh, that's fine just a cute mistake. So then we follow him around doing his stuff. So straight away, we know that he's not a character that tells the truth. He's a character that likes to kind of put himself in positions of other people. I think he also narrates at the start of the movie and he says this a lot, but he says, I hate myself. I wish I didn't exist. I wish I was rubbed out. He has some really deep self-hatred issues here. It's not sitting amazingly right. It's a little bit really weird, but the movie carries on. So he's taken under the wing by this Mr. Greenleaf. He's a millionaire business owner. However, we learn that Mr. Greenleaf has a son who he's sent off, shipped off to Italy because he's, we don't know why. And he's, he says to Tom Ripley, who he believes is a Princeton student who went to Princeton apparently with his son Dickie. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. I did go to school with him. And he was like, okay, well, I'm going to send you to Italy and I'm going to pay for everything. And you can come and send him back to me. And this, this is where the disaster starts. It's a downward spiral from here. No spoilers, actually spoilers. Okay, I'm going to spoil the entire movie. 
right now. So if you haven't seen it, please leave. Or if you'd like this without context and then watch the movie, get this with context, whatever. At your own peril. Sometimes I don't mind listening to the spoilers to then put this into context. So he sends him off to Italy. Tom Ripley meets Dickie Greenleaf and says, I went to school with you. Dickie Greenleaf is a player. He doesn't give a shit. He is a rich prick. That is the word for him. But he's very attractive and he's very he's very popular, which is completely opposite to Tom Ripley. Dickie Greenleaf feels bad for this kid and goes, okay, cool, cool, you can be my new follower. So he takes him on, invites him to his house and all this stuff, and then it starts getting a little bit weird. Tom Ripley tr- kind of needs to know everything about Dickie Greenleaf. He becomes attached to him in quite a creepy way. And it doesn't always come across as creepy. I think if you look at it from different angles, on the surface, he's so normal, He's he can be quite charismatic, but then he can also be incredibly awkward and possess no social skills at all. It's very weird, he kind of works and steps along this boundary of being charismatic and then also incredibly awkward, and he's kind of put into this pyramid where he's at the bottom of it, and Dickie Greenleaf is there at the top. This is all about wealth as well. Dickie Greenleaf's father is paying for Tom Ripley's trip. And Tom Ripley doesn't have any money because he's lied about his wealth. But if you act like you have money, people treat you differently. Anyway, the disaster starts when he gets attached to this guy. And then, worst comes to worst, this is a spoiler, Tom Ripley kills Dickie Greenleaf. We'll get into the details later, but that happens. Then, the movie becomes Tom Ripley impersonating Dickie Greenleaf to get away with his murder, as well as then murdering Dickie Greenleaf's friend who becomes suspicious. And then he also, Gwyneth Paltrow plays Dickie Greenleaf's like, like fiance. She's a f- his fiance at the end anyway. And she goes along the trip with him because she likes Tom Ripley. It becomes a complete and utter shit show after that happens. But it is Tom Ripley going through, impersonating different people, impersonating Dickie Greenleaf, impersonating himself. And then it all ends in chaos, which I will spoil later. But that is kind of the plot. He becomes obsessed, ends up killing Dickie Greenleaf. Obviously, this is about all the details. Kills Dickie Greenleaf then impersonates him for the rest of the film to try and get away with his murder. Which, as far as we're aware, he does. Insane. And that's where I'm going to start talking about the points. Okay, when I first saw this movie, it, get, it makes you feel some some sort of way, but it's amazing. The, the acting in this, like, my acting appreciation section is going to be so fucking big because I'm in awe. Matt Damon, how, how did he do it? How did he make this character... That is clearly some sort of social outsider. He's got some psychotic, sociopathic tendencies. And he turns him into a real person. And he turns him into a person that if you saw walking on the street, you wouldn't even think twice about. And then this person, who we know now is completely, actually, not right in the head, gets power. How far are they willing to go to get what they want? insane. First point on my list I've got here is identity and I've spoken a little bit about it and I've put here clothing which is a big item that happened kind of a big motif that happens in the movie. Clothing being synonymous with power, wealth and status and I've put like an analogy here I've said wearing the wrong clothes and how dangerous that can turn out to be or just clothes that are too big for you and then what measures someone is willing to go to in order to fit them. That represents Tom Ripley's situation. We see him physically wearing a wrong blazer at the start, which then 
kind of sets up this whole narrative. He wears clothes that aren't his and then he then makes up the difference in his personality to fit those clothes and to kind of make a name for himself that isn't even his own name. Like, he's completely and utterly bullshitting, faking it till he makes it and it works in the in the scariest ways. So I've also put here as well a massive theme of this movie is how acting like you come from money can influence how people treat you. If they believe that you come from money, it feels like in this movie that they can give you, anyone in society can give you exactly what you want. You just have to ask for it. You just have to demand that, you give that presence, demand the demands and you will get what you want and I've here I've called it here the having wealth manifesto it sees people not care for the material we see Dickie Greenleaf he is a rich prick as I've said before he does not care about things that is his one of his key personality traits he couldn't give a damn about absolutely anything because ever since he was young he was given all of those things so by rebelling against his father, he's then rebelling against that material wealth that he's always had in the way that he doesn't actually care for it at all. One thing that gives Tom Ripley away is the fact that he does care for the material. Now, I don't know whether this is maybe a mental thing or this is a societal thing that he's grown up with. I'm not quite sure. I think it could be both. But Tom Ripley always cares about the material things. So that a room will be a mess and you'll see him scan the room and make a judgment about that person or about the things they have lying in that room. And the one thing that gives him away, especially to Freddie, who is Dickie Greenleaf's best friend, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who he then ends up killing and Freddie never liked Tom, he realises when he's impersonating Dickie that the room, the hotel room, is not, is too tidy for Dickie Greenleaf to be there because everything has a place and everything there is valued and that is because Tom Ripley cares about material things and also has a big desire for order and control so that ends up being his downfall as well as you know the reason why he could get away with everything which is interesting I've also put as well the romanticization of old money that is exactly Italy in the sun, by the sea. They're wearing like the linen shirts. They're on the yachts. Honestly, there is sky is the limit here. And it's old money. It's my dad's allowance. And it makes it look so good. So good. And that is again the whole point. Because if you make something look good, we're going to think it's good. When actually under the surface, it is monstrous. Yes, old money can be great but what exactly does that stand for and I was like that is why these people are kind of like deified worshipped because the name they hold and this is another point that become that comes in the film is the name they hold means something it represents a legacy it represents a legacy that Tom Ripley in his own name doesn't have and this is where we get the the identity shift in the fact Tom Ripley likes himself so much better pretending to be Dickie Greenleaf than he does as Tom Ripley. To the fact where he's willing to destroy his own name and identity, which he does at the end of the film in a kind of metaphorical way. And every every person he kills, that name becomes 
more dead to him as he takes on more identities. And when it was weighed against, do I stay as Tom Ripley here or do I pretend to be Dickie Greenleaf for a bit longer, he takes away that opportunity to be himself because he hates himself and instead would much rather live with the legacy of an old money name because it makes you more powerful. That's it. Is Tom then, therefore, is he a product of capitalism in society and the influences of what old money can do to the economy because we say here he worked basically he worked in the princeton music department so in order to know how princeton students act and things like that and so that he knew some of them he worked in the music department there's a scene where the stage is closed and he's playing the grand piano and he's playing the grand piano very well and we've got no issues with that but the cleaner comes in and says, right, I'm closing. The lights seem to be switched off and he has to then scamper away. Like, that shows the amount of opportunity that he has and the amount of power he has in his life as Tom Ripley. Therefore, psychologically, he can then study the people that were there because we see him actually then study people's behaviour. We see him impersonate people, like he takes on their voices or he works out what they like because that's what he does to Dickie Greenleaf's father is he works out what they like, like how he talks, what he's like and then therefore he's able to cater for his needs and in that way can become powerful. But is power, I don't even know where the power is, his motive. Is power his motive? I don't even know. I think maybe his motive is just to be fucking liked. To the point where he's willing to kill and, yeah, just psychologically destroy people in order to be liked or to have something to believe in. I really don't know. It's He's such an interesting character. Also, as well, he would have seen the Princeton students, those ones that come from money, like Dickie Greenleaf, take for granted their education. And I think, does that give him a hatred or a longing for these people? Because... Dickie Greenleaf doesn't know him, but he knows Dickie Greenleaf because of the name and also because potentially he did see him at Princeton and he saw him then, therefore, take for granted that education that he's been given for free, basically. And does that make you kind of internally angry as being not from the upper classes? Is there in like a anger, rage there that Tom Ripley has? And therefore, that internal rebellion against the class system in which Tom Ripley turns the tables and goes, right guys, so now I am Dickie Greenleaf, I am really powerful, this is what it feels like, is that then an internal rebellion against the class system or an outward rebellion? But instead of that being a positive thing, it manifests into violent and manipulative behaviour on his part. And is that just him impersonating the upper classes? Because he's a very good study of a person. Maybe he's unconsciously doing that to the point where, because he's not all there in the head, I think he has, like, some psychological issues, 100%. He's got some sort of, like, you know, maybe sociopathic tendencies. So he doesn't quite understand society, doesn't quite understand human behaviour. Because it's not necessarily something you can study as someone who hasn't got those tendencies because you see it as maybe normal and 
it's hard to learn, it's hard to see patterns. But if he's someone who's really good at seeing patterns and that's all he can do, then that becomes very dangerous because he kind of lacks a bit of empathy and I'm gonna go on to the lack of empathy. And to be honest with you, he's actually quite narcissistic at points as well. He has quite, he hates himself, but everything he does is for himself. We never see him really, really connect with another person completely. And sometimes we might see that he does and we go, okay, this is different, but then it turns sour. So it's an inability to connect with other people. And maybe because that's because he's sabotaging himself and he's going, well, I hate myself, so you're going to hate me too. And then he just does his stupid things. So I, I don't know. It's really interesting. Now, I'm going to move on to a very interesting point that isn't fully disclosed in the movie, but it's there very clearly, if you don't know it's spelt out for you. (laughs) And an interesting quote from Patricia Highsmith, who wrote the book as well. So I'm going to talk about the gayness in this movie, because this movie's gay, in my opinion. When I watched it, that's the reason I took. However, because Tom Ripley's character, especially in this movie as well, is so good... (laughs) You can take him in whatever way you want. I think there are many answers to this. Just for me, when I watched it, I was like, gay. Is he gay? Is he not gay? Should it matter? I don't think it should. I don't think it should be a defining feature of his character, which it's not. But it's an interesting thing to explore, especially in the time. So the question, oh God, the quote I have from Patricia Highsmith is, she said, in an interview, this was after the movie came out and after her books have come out, she said, I don't think Ripley is gay. Her argument there is he's married in later books. Do I think that's valid? No. I don't think that that is a good thing to have said. But in the movie, it's quite clear there's a gay theme there. There's some questions about sexuality and I think it makes it more interesting and it makes his character more complex. So, 100% I stand with him not necessarily being gay but definitely having some sort of i'm gonna say intrusive some sort of maybe intrusive thoughts that maybe mm, that maybe justify his manipulative and violent behavior even more so obviously in the rest of the books ripley does not turn out to be with a man i honestly i'm still thinking now he's so an such an amazing character and i think as well matt damon has said that this is one of his favorite movies he's ever done and you can see he's had so much fun in this part so we're gonna start with the context of the situation so the movie is set in like the late 50s and it's set in and around italy and then america and they kind of cross between the two so i did some research and being gay was illegal in the US and it was illegal until 2003 which is insane and then you could legally be married in 2015 in America so being gay in the 50s no 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 thank you uh not good Italy however is a little bit different you could be gay in Italy it was like sexual acts was legal in 1890 which you know old school however you couldn't get married in Italy being gay until 2016 interesting so in italy it wasn't necessarily going to be too much of an issue although again it's still taboo there is a scene 
at one point where he like goes around the corner and there are two men being very friendly who yeah they're definitely gay (laughs) and he like walks past them anyway so i think that that justifies the fact that being gay was kind was legal in italy but you couldn't get married uh and it was still taboo and there was still discrimination however in the us no don't go there discrimination illegal so i talked about tom's repression of kind of the class system and maybe anger that is the result of capitalism is the result of being lower class as the result of not having money when you want it and being the bottom of the ladder and how he can get so quickly to the top he literally went to the top in like less than a year but you have to sacrifice your identity guys please don't do what he did as well as that i did argue about maybe there's some repression of sexuality there or the other point is either he genuinely is gay but is repressing it or the other argument is he isn't gay he's using the gayness to manipulate people the argument about him maybe not being gay necessarily is that he does have a lack of empathy and we see this because he doesn't quite understand why people act out in the way they do he's quite black and white so dickie greenleaf for example he literally he acts out because he doesn't like responsibility at all he acts out because he's still a child and he's triggered by his father that is why he's a mess but again dickie greenleaf also is a little bit psychotic in the fact that he has no empathy either so it's very much a messy match but i see that in tom ripley he does lack that empathy because he's so so able to manipulate people and to to like impersonate people so quickly he doesn't think about how that would make someone feel he always thinks about himself so that's where i think there is a lack of empathy there he is always you know gunning for himself and he has major attachment issues and that's mm, major attachment issues is like you kind of have them when you like someone when you really want to be with someone but because tom ripley literally has no friends his attachment issues could go as far as just trying to be friends with someone and maybe he's using the the homosexuality to be like Mm, now you have to stay with me oh i will tell people it's insane but i wouldn't put it past him anyway interestingly i like to think that maybe there is some gay in him and he's just completely and utterly repressing it because he just can't even go there like he's confused he's angry maybe he is homophobic i wouldn't say he's homophobic though he could be so his character is such a mystery you just have to like literally analyze every fucking thing he does anyway being gay is not addressed properly not properly but it's not addressed explicitly in the movie that we 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 see loads of loads of dialogue that says like are you a homosexual when they're like being questioned by the police there's things like that but it's never really said between the characters and we do have a gay character who comes in at the end jack davenport as peter smith kingsley he's i love him so much he deserves the world (laughs) however doesn't end well he is a i wouldn't say he can't be an openly gay character but he's definitely he's gay and he just wants to be happy that's him he's full of empathy and he's human but anyway i'm going to be talking about dickie greenleaf and tom ripley first so the the gayness isn't explicitly addressed but we do see moments between dickie greenleaf and tom ripley where we can go that's crossing a line they are not just friends 
There are moments where they might look at each other. There's a moment where Dickie Greenleaf is in the bath and he's with Tom. Not in the same bath. He does not go that far. But they're like, that's weird. I wouldn't say that's normal. He also says things like, you can borrow my clothes. You can wear that. You wear my clothes. I think he does it in like a wealth material way. But there's an intimacy to sharing clothes in that way. To go, you can wear my clothes. Why don't you wear my jacket? Can I buy you a jacket? Things like that. I think Dickie Greenleaf, though, is a character that likes to be loved to the point where he's willing... He doesn't care. If you're gay and you're in love with him, he doesn't care because it means that someone loves him. (laughs) It means that he has a follower. He has a reason to perform for everybody else. He has a reason for someone to go, well done, well done. I'm amazed with you. So I don't think it's an issue for him. And that's why he sends it further than it should go so yeah tom's obsession is a little it's more than a friend way in in some ways he yeah there's there's a weird scene where like he tries on his clothes like all of his clothes and he dances around like in a really camp way like when the door's closed of course and then dickie greenie walks in and goes what the fuck are you doing and he's just there like he he can't make he has to make up a shitty excuse but he's literally dancing around in his clothes like another thing as well tom ripley gets triggered every time that dickie greenleaf is with a woman he literally you can see him he's like ew i don't like this i don't know whether it's because the attention's not on him anymore and he has to work harder or he's repulsed by him being with women and he wants to be with him it's very strange and i think you can take it both ways so both both of their behavior is inconsistent and confusing and a lot of the behavior between the friendships of the men so especially dickie greenleaf's friendships is they do cross lines they're very touchy they're very huggy they're very all over each other and for someone who doesn't quite understand social cues and the behavior of the rich for tom ripley that's really confusing and obviously if you want to get in with him you've got to replicate that behavior But the question is, how far do you go? And ultimately, Tom Ripley goes too far. And he does say, Tom Ripley does say, he says, oh, there is something between us. And I don't know whether he's using that as a weapon in order to scare him. I don't quite know what the motive was there. But he does kind of use it as a threat and goes, there's something between us. Didn't you, you can't, you don't don't deny it, you know? So he kind of threatens him with that, which is very strange. Anyway, now we are just gonna end with the death so i think that dickie greenleaf is 100% flattered by tom's behavior he likes to pick him up and drop him down he's a mass seducer however this behavior being inconsistent dropping and picking up is triggering to tom ripley because he's looking for consistency he's looking for control and he can't get it in someone like dickie greenleaf who isn't that he's the opposite of that he's he picks you up when he wants you when he doesn't want you he doesn't give a shit and that is dickie greenleaf in a nutshell so the death of dickie greenleaf there's a moment before where they're on a train and tom ripley goes to rest on dickie greenleaf when he's asleep gay right yeah gay i don't know whether he does that because he represents money and maybe he's just in love with money and the idea of who he is that he wants him i don't know but anyway he does that and he cat and dickie catches him he goes what the fuck are you doing again that's weird man and tom ripley's like oh yeah sorry sorry and then there's a moment where he looks into like the reflection of the glass and their two faces like align 
and I'm like, shit's about to go down. And he just looks like he's planning something. So then I think, did Tom Ripley then kind of, what's the word? Orchestrate Dickie's death then? Because the death itself is quite impulsive. So I don't know whether he'd already planned to do that or he'd planned on a later date. Well, he didn't even plan that in the first place. We don't know that. It's completely up to interpretation. So what happens? Dickie takes him out on a boat and Dickie's idea is to confront him on a boat in fucking water in an unsafe environment away from everybody else. So maybe Dickie planned to kill Tom Ripley as well. Like we learn later in the film that the reason why Dickie's dad sent him away was because he nearly murdered a kid. He nearly killed a kid when he was fighting or something. He got angry at them and he nearly killed them. That is why he got sent away. And it was hush hush and everything because the reputation of the name you know, all that shit. So it doesn't surprise me that maybe Dickie planned to kill Tom as well. And it it just makes it so funny. I think it's funny. Anyway, so he takes him on a little boat and he goes, he literally plans to destroy him, like, mentally. He goes, you're a leech, Tom. You're a leech and it's boring. And Tom Ripley doesn't like this because it's triggering him. And it's telling him that all his work that he has put into trying to manipulate Dickie has not worked and then they realized uh, Dickie had already worked out that Tom wasn't a student at Princeton so he's like what the fuck do you want with me and Tom is there in shock he doesn't know what to do and he is so vulnerable when he's triggered you see the the look in his face Matt Damon is so good you see that look in his face he's scared why is he scared he's a mass manipulator what's going on here apparently as well he has a fear of water the character has a fear of water and a lot of the scenes happen on water so Matt Damon actually is reacting also to the fact that they're on water Dickie's just rocked the boat is he gonna fall in so then if you think about that if you have a deep fear of water and someone is confronting you on water so you've got two feet you've got fears all around you you're gonna act in a rash way and spoiler alert that's what happens. So, basically, Dickie starts threatening him. He makes the first move in terms of he starts to get physical first. So, he's up in his face. He's being raw, you know. This Tom is triggered. So, his then reaction is to grab the oar and whack Dickie Greenleaf. But it pierced his head. Oh, it was awful. And I like how the way he died, he got a head injury, which means that, like, we don't see his, like, his face is what goes first, that makes sense, like, his face is where his injury is, and to be honest with you, his face is one of his best assets, in terms of how he gets away with so much, is not because he's also, is rich, yes, but he's also attractive, Jude Law is absolutely fine in this movie, and for good reason, because that encapsulates his character as being a rich prick, so anyway, he lobs him on the head and then like blood comes pouring down his face and it's like quite symbolic again because his face is like best feature, what can we say? Anyway, and he then, this injury is quite fatal and Tom realises what he does and he kind of panics a bit, but he doesn't stop <laughs> making a killer. He then is like, stop it, stop it. He tells him to stop. He's As he's doing it, Tom is like to Dickie, stop stop this, stop, and he just keeps hitting him, bloody hell, it's, it's insane, 
and you're like, shit, this ain't normal, this ain't normal, and he kills him, and now it gets weirder, it gets weirder, and then after he kills him, he, the adrenaline goes away, and he lies on the boat, and he lies next to him, his dead body, that he is just killed, and he lies next to him, and he hugs him, and he falls asleep, he doesn't think about the consequences, he doesn't think about what he's done, he doesn't think about his fear of water, and then afterwards, he washes up on the shore, takes his jacket, and wraps it round him, and then he goes, and he leaves the boat, the boat sinks, I'm guessing, Dickie sinks with it, and then he, he leaves, and he's a bit shaken, but he carries on, and then he decides he's going to take on the name of Dickie Greenleaf, so he goes and does all his normal life stuff, he lies with his dead body, and then impersonates him for the rest of the movie. It represents control, it's incredibly perverse control, but you see the way he holds on to him. He wants to possess Dickie Greenleaf, he wants to consume him in a psychological, awful way. And now that he's dead, he can be him. It's like when you see people you really like and you go, if I'm not with them, I want to be them. And that is Tom Ripley to the extreme. Like, it's a bit weird to say that normally, but to actually do it, God are you okay? That's when the shit starts going down. That was not the part of the movie I expected to happen. That his death came as a complete and utter fucking surprise to me. Yeah. And anyway, that's the end of Jude Law's performance as Dickie. Let's go on to my next point. So the points now are a little bit smaller, not as crazy, and they're kind of a bit random. So there is a direct quote from Macbeth in this movie that Dickie writes in his handwriting um, because Tom also learns how to impersonate his handwriting, he takes his passport, he full-on actually impersonates him, identity theft, and without his glasses he doesn't look so different from Dickie, in, because th the passport photos at the time were really shit, so he kind of does pass for Jude Law a little bit. Obviously if you saw him in real life, no, but the pictures. So there's a Macbeth reference that I'm going to go across now. Stars that hide your fires, let not light see my black and deep desires. Now I love that quote from Macbeth, but it perfectly links to the movie and to this story. The whole time that Tom Ripley was with Dickie Greenleaf and his fiancée Marge, the whole time he gets to know them, he is capable of murder. Does he know that he's capable? Of we don't know. We don't know him before. So maybe he has murdered before. This isn't his first time. I don't know. Macbeth is about Macbeth. And he has incredible ambition to the point that the ambition becomes his downfall. His Everyone he knows, everyone on his team basically fucking dies. His wife dies. And he dies in the end because his luck ran out. And basically, he then has to kill people, keep killing until, you know, his wage is clean. Like, he's cancelled everything out, no one's going to find him out. Because he kills the king, to start with, and then becomes the king. And then everyone who's suspicious of him, he then fucking kills. This is very similar to Tom Ripley in the fact that after he kills Dickie, anyone who becomes suspicious becomes another target. However, Dickie writes that down. So we would associate that kind of tendency maybe with Dickie because he's powerful, he's ambitious. Well, he's not ambitious. <laughs> but he's got money and he's got, he has, he has the opportunity for power in the way that Macbeth does, maybe. However, actually, Macbeth is the one he's with, it's Tom Ripley, and as well, there is another Macbeth reference later in the film, 
that we could link with that. Where Tom Ripley's coming through on his little moped and he's looking at the windows and he he's on he's on his way again. He's running away from being being his impersonations of Dickie Greenleaf, but he looks around and he gets flashbacks like ghost flashbacks to when he killed Dickie and those ghost flashbacks are very similar to Macbeth's flashbacks. Macbeth kills his best friend Banquo because Banquo gets suspicious of him so he's willing to kill his best friend. He kills his best friend, has a banquet, well actually no he doesn't kill his best friend, he sends people to kill his best friend. Okay anyway, he has a banquet afterwards and he goes insane because he sees his best friend at the banquet that he didn't actually get to because he sent some murderers to kill him. And he haunts him. And that's what happens. Tom Ripley sees Dickie Greenleaf in the windows. Dickie's haunting him the same way that Banquo haunted Macbeth. And that's interesting because does that make you empathetic? Does that make you guilty? I don't know. Is that trauma? But we can also say that that event of him killing Dickie was traumatic in the way that he thought he was... He kind of acted a bit in self-defence. Dickie was... Obviously, he was threatening him, and he was on water. He's fucking afraid of water that we know now. So, you're in a position where you're really, really on edge, and you're gonna make rash moves. Maybe not completely batter your friend, but who knows. Anyway. So, also, I have the analogy- well, not the analogy, the idea that Tom Ripley himself, is he the manipulator, or is he the follower- or is he both? And I think to be a manipulator, you have to be both. You have to be the weak link. And that's what Tom Ripley is anyway. But when you're a weak link, people don't presume that you're capable of big things. So they look over you, they walk all over you, and that's how Tom Ripley manages to get the power he gets. Because everybody underestimates him. They don't believe that he's capable of things like murder. They think he's just, like, lacking in social skills, not cool, no one likes him, he just wants people to like him. But no, no, no. Yes, he wants people to like him, but in insane ways. Okay. Also, I'm going to talk about death as being transformative physically and mentally. Now, in terms of what that means anyway, death can be seen as transformative and it is like the cycle ending to begin again. That's that's how it works. And in this movie, it is used well in the same way. Now, I have done some kind of work on how death can be viewed in movies and in terms of like with serial killers and murderers and people like that. And basically a while ago I did a monologue uh, about someone who murdered someone and I did some character work on it and I read somewhere that you know murder can also be seen as like a sexual thing and that's why they go to then murder again. It's like a pleasure response. It's quite weird but it would make sense in that way in Tom Ripley's sense because we see him with men, we see him with women as well, and he just doesn't seem to be getting everything he wants there. We, He doesn't really get too affectionate with anyone. He does... We get we see him close with Peter Smith Kingsley. They, they definitely have some sort of relationship there. But we, you know, he doesn't ever seem to be completely satisfied. Anyway, spoiler alert, sad times he does kill Peter and he seems to then use his killings to further transform himself into whoever he needs to be. And that is very scary. How far can you go? 
Um, we see in other things as well. Like, <laughs> let's bring up Harry Potter. In Harry Potter, Voldemort kills, as we know, anyway, his Horcruxes. Those murders create new opportunity they create new new life because they're his horcruxes he can literally survive forever if he just kills someone and then puts an object with it so it can be seen as something like that and as well stranger things 4 just came out so i'm going to use this reference as well haven't seen it sorry spoiler vecna kills and he uses them to then create gates and it's because the deaths kind of equal new life new opportunity and expansiveness and Tom Ripley uses that in his killings in terms of maybe he wasn't aware of it, but he feels different after each one. Does it mean he has tra- traumatic stress about it? 100%, yeah, but does that make him further from himself? Yeah, is that his goal? Yeah. He says on multiple occasions that he hates himself and that he wished he never existed. So in terms of killing other people and then taking on their identities, that's perfect for him, isn't it? He's going to be happy there. So then there's also the thing that we said about him maybe being gay but maybe his sexuality is that he just likes killing people and that would also make some sense as well because he never seems to get joy from being around other people we never see him really truly like anyone as much as he likes dicky but he doesn't like dicky he's obsessed with him and i think the reason why he kills peter which is horrible by the way the way he kills him i will talk about that but i you really set up to like peter smith kingsley Jack Davenport does an amazing job of making him just so lovely and helpful and just empathetic. Like, there's a softness to him that you think you see in Tom Ripley when you actually don't. It's all a facade. But he doesn't know that. He's quite naive. And he just wants... He just wants to love people. And I think he just wants to be seen. Anyway, he kills Peter because I think that Peter accepts him because he goes to him, don't you just wish your past was locked in a basement and you threw away the key and he goes yeah he goes tom has secrets he never wants to tell me and that's okay he accepts him and he goes yeah you're imperfect you have dark sides but i'm here for you no matter what and you think after all this tom would go of course love you too i think within peter there's an element of his old self of a powerless self of a vulnerable self, of a self that where money and materialism doesn't matter. He rejects this and therefore kills Peter. He's repulsed by the himself that he sees in him. And I think that that is so sad and he didn't deserve that at all. Now, Peter Smith Kingsley was kind of a bit of a out there killing because Kate Blanchett's character basically knows Tom Ripley as... Dickie Greenleaf that he impersonates himself as. She doesn't know that he's not him because she never met him anyway, but has heard of him. So they're on the boat and she goes, are you here with Peter? Because everyone's looking for Dickie Greenleaf, right? They don't know he's dead. And he goes, oh no, no, I'm not. No, I'm not here. And he kind of panics in that way. How am I going to cover this one up? So then he decides very rash measures where he's going to, he kills Peter. And it's like, what the fuck? And I think it's because he prefers Dickie Greenleaf's name to his own. So everyone that knows him as Dickie Greenleaf, cool, good. Everyone who knows him as Tom Ripley, death. And his, it's just awful. I, it's so sad at the end. But yeah, so again, on the death being transformative, there is an amazing shot where he's at the piano and the camera stays on the piano and like his head, you know when, because it's like a, 
a, a curved lid. His head's on the curve, and as he moves away, the head becomes two. It splits. And I think that's so cool. Like, that is his duality as Tom Ripley and Dickie Greenleaf. But his duality in terms of who is he anymore? Is he different? He's grown. But is he grown monstrously? And it's just... Ah! I... I can't even... There's also another shot where the camera, like, near the end, the camera spirals, like, literally. And that reminds you of, obviously, vertigo and madness and what that means. And it means that people are going to act in rash ways. It means that people are going to be triggered. It means that they're going to do things that they're going to regret because they're doing them out of fear. And I think Tom Ripley's fear is himself. And I don't know whether he's that... He's, he's been nearly caught many times. But he kind of wasn't afraid of it. He was just like, fuck, game's up. Because he's happy as long as he has Dickie with him. Which is fucking insane. He wants to consume Dickie. He just doesn't, he doesn't want to be with him. He doesn't want to be close to him anymore. The only thing that's going to cut it is if he is him. So I thought, yeah, they would talk about vaulting ambition, which is in Macbeth as well. And I think that that, that hate and that love of Dickie, that wanting to be with him, but he actually wants to be him is definitely quite ambitious of an idea. It's almost, it's impossible. But somehow he makes it possible. I will get on to Peter's death now. I really love Peter's character. And we see him really come and support Tom Ripley because he believes he's Tom Ripley. He believes that he's innocent and that he's a good person when he's really not. And Tom lets him play into that idea. He leads him on in that way that he's a good person and he enjoys his company of course you see different sides of him with him but you know they wear binary clothes white and black it's usually peter who wears black and tom who wears white and i think maybe that's because we don't necessarily see peter as we don't know a lot about him he's quite a bit he's a bit of a shadow in terms of our eyes but we know everything about tom as well funeral clothes black he's gonna die and he does. And there's an awful, awful shot just before he dies where he's lying down and Tom comes to lie next to him and he's sitting higher and he's looking the other way and he's got a rope, like a, like a dressing gown thing and he's just, as if it's a sport, he's wrapping it around his wrist and he's in complete shadow and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, what? And then, and then he, like, suffocates it. But we don't see it. We hear it. We hear it because we, are, we like this character. This character doesn't deserve to die. He's a bit out of the way. He didn't... Why did he... Why was he so quick to kill him? We thought he liked him. And we hear his struggle and we hear his death. And then it's shots of Tom sitting there face in half shadow almost exact half shadow half light and then it's full shadow and it's like what is he and then that's the end of the movie (laughs) it's structured in a strange way yet however the character has grown throughout the movie this isn't a yay happy ending no this is a following this guy go through worse and further worse until he's a monster He's not a hero. Well, in the books, he's described as an anti-hero and he might be portrayed differently in the books to in the film, but in the film, he very much turned into, like... He wasn't even a hero, I think. I don't know, it's hard to describe it. It really reminds me of um, the TV series You, how you're you're with Joe Goldberg. He is a 
serial killer. You see him kill, you see his mentality before and after he kills, you see why he kills. But yet, we are with him the entire time and what I really liked about that is that you end up rooting for him even though he's the bad guy. And I think that that, that really reminds me of this film. You follow a guy who is clinically probably insane going about doing his stuff. You see him so intimately that you don't, you can't hate him. Okay, so I'm just gonna put in any other random notes that I noticed. How much truth is he telling? How much of a show is he putting on? And that's what's terrifying about this. He's an unconventional character. He's 100% an outsider and yet people view him similarly to the way that everyone else is viewed. And instead of you know, being maybe wary of this character, people people don't, they're just quick to judge him as being inferior. And he's very powerful for that. I don't know whether he searches for power necessarily, because he's quite awkward, but he definitely is about order, control, getting what he wants, and destroying his own name. It's very strange, but it's great. So I was going to talk about order as well, that, you know, we see his hotel room after he put says that he's dicky and it's so organized he kills freddy with a bust of hadrian the roman emperor and hey there's loads of gay references in this movie it's like hadrian had a gay lover i think and he kills freddy with that and it's kind of you know if we go on the gay lines it's because he sees freddy as a threat he always had seen freddy as a threat and he had to then get rid of the threat because that threat was on his back and he doesn't like him and he whacks around the head and he's gone so it's the end of freddy yes another thing is this is so random these are random thoughts now there's this when they're sailing there's a sail on the boat and you can see at the top the number 666 the actual sail number is 6660 but when it's in the wind it's just 666 and i was like perfect i was like yes because he is some other where is he from what what makes what possesses tom ripley to do these things it's devilish it's scary it's it's evil it's insane and i think that was just a really cool thing because it just there's so much about the movie that's off like just a little bit askew and i think it's a lot to do with like connotation and association like when he leaves to go to italy in the cab he goes past a pig, like a butcher, and there's just like pig carcasses outside, and you're like, strange. But that's because this is gonna turn into a fucking bloodbath soon. That's all his fucking bodies lined up. But yeah, there's just loads of things that are just a little bit off, and they're all in the like subtext, and they're all like in the background of the shots. And I just think it's so much juxtaposition going on, but the setting's so beautiful. So it feels, I can't describe the feeling, but it's when something's so beautiful, yet so horrible at the same time. It's just both. And the, is the beauty diminished because of the evilness or the awful things that are happening? Which is, which is better? Which is which? I don't know. What is morality? I don't know. <laughs> this movie gives you a lot of questions. I will say that. But it's so good and I could talk about it forever.
Again, there are so many different references in this. I can't talk about them all, of course, because I'll be here for days. Oh, I've got a question here to ask as well. Like, I've put here as well, the voyeuristic tendencies, that's how Tom Ripley spies on people and that's how he analyses them psychologically, is through observing and is also, that's quite a voyeuristic thing. So, as well, I've put here, the character of Dickie, the character of Dickie uses people to project onto, he projects all of his trauma and all of his horribleness onto other people, so therefore his consequences are diminished, he doesn't have any, because everyone else has them. And he's quite a sleazy character as well. We see, he ha- is got a fiancé, we see him with other women as well. And he doesn't seem to be like there's an issue with that. He kind of enjoys that power. He also gets another woman pregnant in an Italian woman. And because he wouldn't give her any money, she then kills herself. And that's the kind of the peripatia moment where everything goes shit. It happens just before Tom kills Dickie. It's quite an important moment, which I haven't discussed yet, actually. He indirectly killed Silvana. She killed herself because of Dickie because of Dickie's power. And that made him act out because he never even thought about consequences of his actions. I don't think he felt bad. He just felt angry that life is so unfair. Why does that happen to me? No, you fucking were responsible for killing a woman. We see that binary and we see Dickie do something like that. And then we see Tom. And when you put them next to each other, it really begs the question, does that make him worse than Tom? And it's weird as well, Tom never goes to kill a woman. In this movie, he doesn't kill women. He comes close, but he doesn't actually kill anyone. He kills men. And also, on the boat, he talks with Kate Blanchett a lot. And she really likes him, but doesn't know that he's not Dickie Greenleaf. Obviously, she's not Kate Blanchett. I can't remember what her name is in it. But given the choice, are you here with Peter? No. Are you here with anyone? Yeah, I'm here with loads of people. Given the choice between killing her and Peter... He does not hesitate to kill Peter. He also doesn't kill Marge, although he becomes he comes close to killing Marge. He actually likes Marge, I think. There's some part of him that likes her. In a friend way, I don't know. In a more romantic way, he kind of uses that as an excuse with her. But I don't think that's genuine because in order for him to see her in that way, he would have to be obsessed with her. And he isn't, he's obsessed with Dickie. And he was obsessed with Dickie the entire time. So my question is here, does that behaviour that Dickie has, being a bit of a dick, really. Does that make him worse than Tom in that way? His action, because he does not have consequences to his actions, whereas Tom understands his consequences and then uses them and then gets rid of them. So they both work very differently, but I think when we put them together, their characters are not so different. They're both quite dangerous. And I think, in a way, Dickie's death saves Marge. And I think Tom knows that. Maybe he thinks he's done her a favour by killing Dickie. Because if he hadn't have died, Marge's life would be way different. She would actually, she could be dead. For all we know, if he's a violent person, he could have beaten her or something when she confronted him. Because a lot of people say in the film, Dickie doesn't like confrontation. He doesn't like confrontation. So there you go. Oh yeah, also about the kind of weird, I put dead pigs here, the weird things. Another thing that Marge says is, uh, he made me laugh so hard I almost got a nosebleed, which is quite a violent thing to say. There's a lot of dialogue like that, and it really helps to make this world kind of a little bit confusing. Like, there's evil here, but we can't see it yet. And it doesn't look like there's gonna be any. But yeah, I think that's where I'm gonna leave that, and then I'll just 
do an acting appreciation. What time are we on now? Let's have a look. Ooh, one hour 24. This is the longest one yet. Next up, we have our, of course, acting appreciation. And obviously, and I've said this so many times before, Matt Damon's performance as Tom Ripley is insane. I love it so much. And I've said that a lot and I'll say it again. But what I love about his performance is the fact that he can kind of switch. He can switch to different angles of the character and it's really hard to explain, but I like how he can go from being quite soft to then being quite hard, to being awkward, to being charismatic. There's so many binaries in the character and that's quite difficult to keep hold of all the time. And it would require you to have clear, very clear uh, motivations for your character, knowing, knowing exactly what's going on with them inside. And I think it's really important for that. Yeah, I just, I love how he can show madness, but not madness in the sense madness is in like deep brooding madness i just how he can make that character terrifying is beyond me like i was thinking i was like i've seen matt damon in other things before and i have not been afraid of him he's not a scary character he's not a scary man but matt i'm terrified of tom ripley if he comes near me he's going somewhere i can't have him anywhere near me like, he's terrifying. He's one character I would not like to meet in real life at all. Get me out. He scares me. And there's some parts in the movie where you go, I'm terrified of this guy. But then there are other parts in the movie where you're like, I'm not scared of him. It's just Tom. And then he'll switch and you're like, terrified again. So I really love that. I really love his ability to do that. I think that that's amazing. And that's something that I, of course would only dream of being able to pull off there's so much depth to his character and i think there's so many different ways you can go with it you know you can go go wherever you want with it and it would make it more interesting so that's matt damon that was just me waffling for like ages next up of course jude law now i love jude law anyway and he does so good in this role he's dickie greenleaf and apparently he wasn't originally going to be in this movie. Like, he had to be persuaded to be in this movie. And I think he was sent, like, to Italy to learn how to sail and stuff. Like, that was his preparation. And you can just tell, because, man, that's all this kid does. He just sails around and does whatever he fucking wants because he's got the money to. And he's insufferable. And I love how Jude Law can make you hate him as well. There's, again, there's different aspects of Dickie Greenleaf that you see through Jude Law. You obviously see that really horrible part of him the bit where he's always childish where he gets mad at tom and he goes you're a leech you're boring like he says that and that makes him scary but then also you see this kind of this fun loving sunshine part of him where he looks like the most important person in the room he's the most charismatic person in the room everyone wants to be his friend you can see those char- you can see that and then when people say oh, I, I like Dickie Greenleaf this, Dickie Greenleaf that, you go, I totally understand you. I totally get why you're saying that because he acts like he is the best person in the room. And to be honest with you, most of the time, he acts like it so much that he is. We see like him expressing himself, so he does a lot of music and things like that as well. And I think as well, Jude Lord did learn the saxophone for... I'm making all these facts up, guys. 
I don't know him personally uh as well so there's so many different sides of him and you see the sides through of him differently through different characters he's very childish and you see that but there's also this hardness behind his eyes that if you get on the wrong side of him you're gonna pay you're not gonna like it and as well next up we have Gwyneth Paltrow as Marge now Gwyneth Paltrow is a curious she's got a lot of maybe stigma around her she's interesting she's celebrated for her acting of course but she doesn't seem to care i feel that she's kind of like that now i don't always love her performances and she does play a lot of the sim a lot of similar characters but i really liked her as marge in this because she was so innocent in the fact that marge literally just wants dickie greenleaf to love her to genuinely love her that's all she wants and you feel so sad for her because yes she's not an idiot she knows what he's doing behind her back but it's almost like she doesn't want to believe it and that makes her incredibly vulnerable and then when you know she gets a bit all over the place when he disappears (laughs) disappears he's actually dead but anyway she gets a little bit hysterical with that and she really acts like a human i think it's really nice to have these human humanized characters that surround these flipping psychopaths and as well on that note as well as gwyneth paltrow's character we have of course jack davenport's peter smith kingsley and yeah they're just so human and you feel the humanness within them and it is such such a contrast to the uneasy energy you get and the unnerving energy you get with um, Jude Laws and Matt Damon's characters. Because, you know, Peter and Marge are just people and they just want to be loved and they just want to feel safe and accepted and heard. And they make a great... Because, you know, Peter helps her out and stuff as well. So we see them together and they come across quite stable and quite homely. Whereas we see Tom Ripley's character and he's quite unnerving and quite scary and it's nice to have those kind of grounded human nice characters where they're quite soft and they're quite they're vulnerable and they're people and they feel safe to watch compared to obviously our more insane characters that we have um but again like I say this whole I've been using words like insane and crazy and psychotic and to be honest with you what's beautiful about this movie is the fact that this isn't obvious you have to watch this properly watch this this of this kind of madness is 100 percent in the subtext it's in their actions it's in their behavior it's it's in the atmosphere that this film creates and i cannot describe how much how cool that is and how amazing that is to watch Uh, the performances just work so well, the characters are well defined, the characters have so much depth and it's lovely because you can take it in whatever sense you will because again you don't know which way the actors have taken it in, how are they viewing their own character, are they viewing their character different to how we see it, so are we missing a trick here and that is the beauty of this movie so there you go i'm gonna i'm gonna finish now of course this is probably my longest one i've ever done and i'm so sorry because I have just gone on and on. Yeah, there's a lot in this movie and I didn't realise quite how much there was. But we're here at the end. 
So, of course, if you like this, leave a review, tell me my opinions are wrong, I don't know. (laughs) And, yeah, just come for next time because there'll probably be another surprise. Don't know what the next movie's gonna be, but I'm gonna try my best. That was The Talented Mr. Ripley and I'll see you next time.